0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's, where three guys kind of seeing some of Dooku's points with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and Star Wars is back.
1: Until they fuck it up again.
2: I'm Keith Baker, and it's good to see some more planets like my friend Austin requested.
1: And I'm Austin Terry. And did you guys know the Star Wars stuff is actually
0: pretty cool? On today's show, we're just going to be talking about all things Star Wars. We have some more episodes of Andor to talk about, which is, of course, the newest live action show from Disney Plus and the Star Wars team. We have a collection of animated shorts with Tales of the Jedi and maybe some future talk as well. Now that we're feeling maybe a little bit better about the direction, maybe we can break down some of the upcoming projects we've heard about and decide if that will be good or if they're going to go back to that scary place that Star Wars tends to go to, which I guess we can just call Tatooine. I'm not saying that those shows are going to take place on Tatooine, but I think from now on, if Star Wars is bad, we'll just call that the Tatooine territory.
1: Yeah, if I, if I was religious, my like my version of hell would be Tatooine. I'd just be scared <laughs> to be sent there for eternity. What would be worse, Tatooine or Kamino? I would take Kamino since I've only seen it once, and I've seen Tatooine about a thousand times at this point. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think I'd probably
0: go Camino ultimately just because I've never been bothered by the rain. And while seemingly you are like just marooned on this platform, when we did see the interiors, they were pretty nice. Um, as opposed to Tatooine where it's just going to be scorching heat all day. And it's not like there's really any great place to live there.
1: And the tall giraffe aliens seem like very nice people. Yeah, they seem quite pleasant. Bopa. <laughs>
0: All right, so to get started here, we're going to be continuing our talk on Andor. If you didn't catch it, we actually, a few weeks ago, we reviewed the premiere episodes, which is when, uh, whenever the show first premiered, they dropped the first three at once, so we did a full episode just on those. So we're going to continue our talk there, very excited about that, and this kind of lined up pretty well for us, uh, because Tales of the Jedi just came out, and this was created by Dave Filoni, who we all know we'll get into that later, but... They're animated shorts, they all take place, of course, in the canon of Star Wars, kind of in the Clone Wars animation style, Um, and it just follows Ahsoka Tano and Count Dooku, six episodes, but they're basically like 15 minutes apiece, so if you watch all six, you kind of get something movie length, but kind of a different way for them to tell a story, and I think, at least from a thematic standpoint, it kind of lines up nicely to talk about both of these shows in one episode, because... To me, at least, it feels like Andor is kind of breaking new ground for Star Wars in terms of how it tells a story and how it handles, like, morally complex characters, whereas on the other end, Tales of the Jedi kind of follows suit a little bit when it comes to the character stuff, but just in its presentation, it feels so new, like, even if I hated Tales of the Jedi, which, well, of course, we'll get into our thoughts, but even if I didn't like it, I would still want them to do more of it because I like that form of storytelling. I want to like find out about new characters through this like weird like three-episode, 15-minute-a-piece type storytelling. It, it was really cool, so I'm glad we're kind of combining these into one episode because it just feels like they both encapsulate. Like new good stuff for Star Wars in general. So let's go ahead and just get into it. Austin and Keith, how about you let everyone know where you're at right now with Andor, as well as your non spoiler thoughts on Tales of the Jedi?
1: Yeah, going into Andor, um, as we talked about in our premiere episode, I I really enjoyed the premiere. And now that we're kind of halfway through this initial first season, uh, I love this thing. I think it's the best thing Star Wars has put out since Rogue One, which is my favorite movie. Um, I think it's really fascinating the way they're telling everyday people's stories in the Star Wars universe the origins of the rebels that we're getting I think is really interesting but they've really found a cool way to flesh out the empire and like what it looks like like what their governmental leaders are like struggling with with their like takeover of the galaxy and how that influences um, like policy and the way they react to certain things and they've shown me so much new stuff in the show and they've answered questions about Star Wars that I didn't even know I like had or was interested in and the way they're telling the story with Bouncing back and forth between the Empire, the Senators, the everyday rebellion people, all that stuff I'm loving. It's, it's my favorite part of my week when a new episode of Andor comes out. And I just cannot wait to see the rest of the show and really hope they continue where they're at today.
2: Yeah, for me, um, we talked about in the first episode, thought it started off a little slow for me, but then things definitely picked up in episode three where I was like, OK, this is going to be this is going to be really cool. And, like we've touched on a hundred times now, like Austin said, you know, it's really cool seeing like the everyday people in the Star Wars universe. And then going into the next few episodes up until episode eight, I think is where we're at. All good stuff. I, I, the action, uh, we got to see a mission go down that really uh, had a huge effect on the entire uh, galaxy, I guess you could say, you know, politically and all that. Uh, like you said, Austin, really cool seeing like how, how the Empire is networked you know we're not just seeing the emperor and darth vader we're seeing like the actual everyday people like who just work nine to five jobs um and and what they have to do in those jobs and some of them are kind of boring some of them are like really impactful and we're also seeing the rebel side of things too and how you know it's not the rebels it's not just what you see like in the battlefront games and and what you see on and on hoth and empire strikes back it's there's a lot of politics to that too and there's a lot of a lot of uh, senators you might see or, or you know, other, other people that are working their everyday jobs uh, on different planets that are also kind of, you know, have a little bit of hesitan- hesitancy towards the Empire. And it's kind of cool to see them flesh out their thoughts. And some of them, you know, have, have to kind of be careful with what they say and do. And I think um, they really opened up a whole nother world here uh, in the Star Wars universe. We're seeing a lot more planets. We're seeing a lot more places within the planets, a lot more different characters and people that are not Jedi related, not Emperor related. Uh, so overall, really impressed with Andor.
0: Yeah, I definitely echo your guys' sentiments. I think maybe I'd have to go back and listen to our episode. I don't even really remember now, but I think I might have been closer to Keith just in the sense of I really, really liked the premiere episodes. But I was like, OK, this is going to be a 12 episode season. I kind of see where they're going in terms of how they're telling a story. So it's going to be a slow burn. And I was okay with that. It's just, I don't know. There was something about that first episode that was just maybe a little bit too slow for me. But regardless of that, ever since then, not really, it hasn't even really picked up the pace to me. It feels like it's the same pace. It's just what they're doing is so interesting. Uh, and they're tackling so many things at once and so many characters that I'm shocked that they're doing it so well. But yeah, I love this show. I think I haven't really thought about too much where it stacks up with my opinions on other Star Wars stuff, but, I mean, it's certainly one of my favorites, like, ever. I mean, probably top three Star Wars things for me. Uh, I just think it's so different, so good. Nothing at all what I expected this show to be whenever they announced an, a show called Andor that would, you know, supposedly flesh out this character that was good in Rogue One, but, I mean, we really spent so little time with him. I was, Like I said in the premiere episode, it's like, who cares? Do we need this? But the way they've just put him as kind of the, focus point character surrounded by the rebels finally trying to get their shit together and make something that will be able to combat the empire all the while telling a surprisingly interesting and compelling with some emotional resonance to it, uh, of a story for the empire. Like it's really weird that you can root for some of these characters and then we'll get to, you know, spoiler stuff, but then whenever they go out into the world, if that makes sense, whenever they leave like their, their empire, um, base in that story and then they start going out and interacting with their other characters and they're horrible people then you go oh yeah that's right these are bad people
1: <laughs> yeah you really want them to like achieve their career goals in yeah a weird it's weird <laughs> it's, it's really bizarre Um, but that's just
0: a testament to the writing and just how they're presenting it Um, speaking of you know we'll get to our thoughts on Tales of the Jedi in a second which is a show like literally just about two characters arcs split among six episodes I'm also really liking in Andor how it's kind of becoming about these few episode arcs, too, which I really like. That that premiere three-episode batch was like the Ferrex arc, and then you had the al heist arc right after that that was three episodes. And then episode seven was kind of like a catch-up, kind of showing you what all the characters that we've met are doing. And then episode eight seems to be starting uh, the prison arc, which I'm very excited about. It's just, yeah, I, I just love how they're telling the story and structuring it. Um, I, I, I agree with Austin. I mean, right now, at least... Like whenever Wednesday hits, I just get stoked to watch Andor. It's like it's like the show coming out weekly right now that I'm most excited uh, whenever it drops every week. So love the show, very excited about it. Um, before we get into you know spoilers and all that good stuff, I guess it would make the most sense right now uh to, to bring in Tales of the Jedi. So let's stick to non-spoiler here as well. Uh, what are your guys' quick thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, could you imagine if if yourself today went back to young Matt when he first saw that Andor was announced and just said. Hey, you're going to say this is your top three Star Wars project in the future. (laughs) Young Matt. I I was probably like (laughs) like
0: 24 when they announced it. (laughs) I I thought what I thought you were going to say, Austin, is can you go back to actual young Matt and tell him, Hey, remember Christopher Lee's Count Dooku in Attack of the Clones and you're a dumb kid. So this is like one of your favorite movies. Can you imagine (laughs) like 20 years from now them telling a really fucked up, sad, emotional story that totally justifies and explains how he became a villain in the first place, I would be like, no way! <laughs> but, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the thing to write home about with this show. I guess I'll just go ahead and get into my non-spoiler thoughts now since I'm already talking about it. But Ahsoka Tano, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I have not fully dove in uh, to the Clone Wars yet or Rebels. So my history with Ahsoka really just is through... Like, I don't know, seeing other Star Wars fans talk about her. So I've become familiar with her through word of mouth, essentially. And then, of course, you get the Rosario Dawson live action version in The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett. So from what I've seen, albeit limited, I really like the character. So it was cool for someone like me who hasn't seen all of Clone Wars to kind of get her backstory and fill in some of the gaps that I never really even had because I haven't seen that show. So it was cool. I think she's an incredibly compelling character. Um I I think uh, my one criticism of the show is just from a non-spoiler perspective, like the way it's paced, you get one episode, the premiere, which is about her, like, you know, her birth and like her, you know, first little adventure and like showing the force for the first time. And then it immediately goes into several in a row about Dooku. And then it goes back to Ahsoka at the very end. And I was like, I wasn't sure if I liked that structure. But regardless of that, um, incredibly compelling character, I feel like I have Much more of a reason to go watch Clone Wars now. Um, But like I joked a second ago talking about Dooku, I mean, man, the show really invested so much into that character. And again, how much screen time did he have? I guess a total of maybe 45 minutes across his episodes. I mean, immediately he becomes one of the most compelling Star Wars characters for me. Um, I want to go back and watch Attack of the Clones and like be like, okay, yeah, how does this track with where he's at now? I want to see him in the Clone Wars as well, talking about Ahsoka too. I want to see, okay, so now he's a full-on villain. I want to see like his story continue, even though I've seen him in live action before, which is weird to say. Um, but yeah, I thought the animation was beautiful. I thought the voice acting was great, and I thought the stories they told and how they edited it to like show the passage of time, even over the course of fifteen-minute episodes, was like incredible so yeah this was great and like i already said i really hope they do more of this and like if a season if they do a season two i'd like them just to tell like two more stories about two other random jedi uh get to know more about them so yeah this is a format that should definitely continue
1: yeah with tales i i think it's really good i'm definitely not as high on it as i am on andor um i did find the first half to be pretty slow and then the last three episodes like i was so invested in those that i kind of wish the first half of the season had that same kind of like hook for me um it it really at the end of the day is a Count Dooku show and and like you called out about that character Matt I was surprised how much I was interested in him and like kind of seeing his uh his side of view on a lot of things so really enjoyed that um like you called out about the animation the animation's gorgeous like the voice acting everything here is very top quality I just found some of the pacing to be a little slow um I do really like that it's just 15 minutes though so whenever you do kind of start to feel it's runtime you're already on to the next story I also thought this show did time jumps very effectively. It was very cool to move through this period of time in Star Wars, because even though we've seen like the prequel movies and stuff, we still, as a, we still haven't spent a ton of time in this, in this period of Star Wars as viewers. So that was pretty exciting to see. Um, and, and yeah, I, I really liked where the last three episodes left off. And they do, if they do more stories like this around other characters, I'll definitely check it out.
2: Yeah, I'm very high on tales. I didn't, you know, I didn't think I would be, because I'm just not into animated stuff that much. Um... And I never watched the Clone Wars or Bad Batch or any of that. But this definitely made me like pumped up to go watch Clone Wars now. I don't have too much to add about what I liked because be, I would just end up spoiling everything. But um, yeah, I think it was cool to see an insight into these, th- these two characters that definitely had some gaps that needed filling. Um, especially Dooku, for sure. I, didn't know, I don't know enough about Ahsoka, but I'm glad we got to know more about her. But yeah, Dooku was definitely a character where, you know, watching Attack of the Clones, I was like, man, like, he's such an interesting guy. And you see him a little bit in Revenge of the Sith, too, at the very beginning. And you know he has these weird motivations, but you really don't know what's going on behind them and how he came to leave the Jedi. So it's cool to see, you know, some of that get fleshed out in this. Um, so that's I'll stop there. I, I'm really high on tales. I just don't want to say anymore because I know I'm going to spoil something, so...
1: Yeah, I think the only thing I'll add about Tales is I I hope in the future they do this similar type of story, but about like older Star Wars characters that we've only heard mention in stuff like the prequels. And I kind of like to see like this kind of be like a history show. Like it kind of feels like a Wikipedia article where it just tells you what you need to know about the character and then you kind of move on to the next thing.
0: For sure. Yeah, that'd be cool if they even like pulled it back further, like you said, Um, because it was nice to have that, you know, that theme of Dooku and Ahsoka are both people that you know, went into the Jedi Order with, like, bright eyes and bushy tails. They were excited about it. But then they ultimately both became disillusioned with the Jedi and chose on their own volition to leave Ahsoka, you know, still being a good person and Count Dooku being a villain. So I liked how there was connective tissue like that. So it'd be cool if they could, like, I don't know, tell a story about, uh, like, the backstory of Emperor Palpatine in this style and maybe, like, killing Darth Plagueis and... Uh, Maybe picking another Jedi or somebody to try and, like, find some common ground with they could also do, like, in that same season. Like, that would be kind of cool. So, I don't know. Yeah, definitely want more. And I'm closer with Yuki. Like, I I really love this. I thought it was great.
1: Well, it kind of seems like we're teetering on spoilers for both these shows. So, Matt, do you think we should just jump into our spoiler section?
0: Yeah, we'll go ahead and do it. So, just to let everybody know, uh, we're going to go ahead and just start with Andor first. So, we're going to do full spoilers on that. And then once we get done with that, we'll go into Tales right after. So... But yes, regardless, uh, for the rest of the episode, everything we're going to be talking about for either show will be spoiler filled. So go ahead and check out Andor, get up to date on that. Uh, if you haven't, like seriously, if you're somebody like me that wasn't excited for Andor and like there's been so many like bad Star Wars projects in the lead up, like Andor is the one. I know you're getting disillusioned, but uh, trust me, go watch this one. It'll get you back in and then go check out Tales as well. Super quick and enjoyable watch. And we're going to talk full spoilers on that as well. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the spoiler section for Andor. Austin and Keith, hit me up with the cast and crew. Normally, we wouldn't do this again since we already talked about Andor, but there's so many new people to talk about. It's a huge cast and crew. We got to kind of uh, fill everybody in on who's new to the team.
1: All right, so Andor is created and written by Tony Gilroy, who's most well-known for writing the Bourne films. Uh, You also may know him from Michael Clayton and Rogue One. He's also the uncredited director of Rogue One's reshoots. For the directors these episodes, uh, the Aldani heist was directed by Susanna White and written by Dan Gilroy, and then the following episodes were handled by Benjamin Caron and Toby Haynes. Our score for the show is composed by Nicholas Brittle, and of course, based on characters in Star Wars by George Lucas. And
2: going into our cast, we have Diego Luna returning as Cassian Andor, Genevieve O'Reilly returning as Mon Mothma, Kyle Soller as Cyril Karn, Denise Gao as Dej Ramiro, Adria Adorna as Bix, Faye Marseille as Vel, Virata Sethu as Sinta, Alex Lothar as Nemec. Eben Moss Backrack as Skeen. David Chapman as the voice of B2MO. And we got Fiona Shaw as Marva Andor. Andy Serkis as Kino. Forrest Whitaker returning as Saul Guerrero. And Stellan Skarsgård as Luthan Rael. Alright guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives? Any negatives? What do we got?
1: Yeah, my highlight. I'm pretty sure I gave the same highlight to our first episode that we did on Andor, but uh, my highlight's Tony Gilroy. Uh, what this guy is doing with Star Wars and the way he's telling the story is so interesting and fascinating to me. Um, I hope they just give this guy the keys to the kingdom and let him be in charge of Star Wars for a long time to come.
2: Um, I'll do a quick shout out to Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma. I think her acting is spectacular in this show. I didn't know I was gonna, you know, really like this character, or care about this, care about this character. Um, but now I do a lot, and I think she's probably going to be one of the mo- more important characters of this show. Uh, So good on Genevieve.
0: Absolutely. She's so good. And she's, a, she's another one of those characters. Like We first met her in the original trilogy, and I know she's an iconic character, but I personally never really cared about her other than I thought it was cool that she was so high up in the Rebel Alliance. But now I actually care about her because we're finding out actually literally anything about her, her personality and all that. And like, getting her personal life and her struggles. I mean, yeah, she's so good Um, for me. I don't remember who I picked uh, last time around. Um, I definitely echo Austin's sentiments. Anybody behind the camera on this show, whether you're like the writer, the director, the creator, anything like you're killing it, you're doing incredible. Uh, I guess a specific one would be Dan Gilroy, Tony's brother. I thought the writing specifically on the Haldani high Stark was like pitch perfect. Um, And then on the cast side, He's one of my favorite actors working right now uh, with like he, I've seen him a lot in Girls, The Punisher, season one, and then more recently on The Bear. Uh, but Eben Moss Backrack as Skeen, I thought this character was awesome. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> um, yeah, he's really good. Lots of pathos to that character. Uh, lots of understandably like not trusting Cassian. He's hiding behind a lot of pain, clearly. And then we get to the end and he's just like, well, hey, man, let's split, let's split it you know you and me and he's a rebel so it's just it his character was perfect to showcase that the rebel alliance is not when he lied too which was fascinating right. he lied about his origin That's right yeah to gain sympathy basically uh but yeah it, it his character to me just encapsulates like where the rebel alliance is at in andor at that time it is not fully formed because he has a line about like no i am a rebel um but i only look out for me like he's The Rebel Alliance is full of people like him that, like, yes, they want to fight the Empire, but they're only out for themselves. And, like, the Rebel Alliance cannot be something to stand against the Empire until the right people that actually, you know, are willing to, like, help others in that way. Uh, So it's interesting to see, like, kind of these early days of the Rebel Alliance. And I thought he was great in the role and kind of perfectly written to fit that bill.
1: Yeah, I think you'll appreciate this, Matt. But I was finishing up the bear right when Episode 4 of Ander came out and uh, whenever cassian andor is walking up to the camp and skeen comes out i was like is that fucking cousin, cousin. like coming out of the tent <laughs> like yeah. jesus i did not expect this chicago cook <laughs> to be in this show yeah yeah he was great All right. Well, with that, let's go ahead
0: and just get into our roundtable discussion. All spoilers, of course, for Andor. This is the main part of the show where each of us has brought in a couple of talking points, things that we felt were, you know, kind of extra important to discuss with these episodes. So we're talking again to remind everybody we're talking episodes four through eight uh, since we are up to date with Andor. So, guys, let's go and get into it. Where do you want to start?
2: All right, guys. Um, I think we should go ahead and start with going into episode four. So I know Matt and I were a little low on episodes one and maybe two. I think thinking they were starting off a little bit slow in episode three. Things definitely picked up. Now we're in episode four. Things have definitely picked up. They're leading up to the Aldani mission. So what do you guys think of all this? Like him camping out with the gang and then how the mission went down and all that?
1: For me, I would actually argue, I don't think the pacing of the show has changed, but I think the stakes have definitely increased as the show has gone on. And the speed and pacing of this show is, is a highlight for me. I think, Matt, whenever we talked about Barbarian a few months ago, you pointed out like how confident that story is presented to us. And I kind of have the same feeling with Andor. Like, this, this story is just, they're not breaking away from anything. They're sticking with their slow pacing, their slow burn but they're so confident in the execution and the way they're telling us the story that it just feels also important. Um, and my favorite thing about them kind of staking out for the Aldani heist is just there's this like sense of the train is on the rails now and, and we can't stop. Like they're already in motion here they're camped out. There's, they have no way to get out of this plan. So they have to move forward with it. And I love just like the constant presence of the Empire here with like the TIE fighters always flying over and, and stuff like that. Like they just they always feel so outmatched um, throughout this these like three episode arc. And I was really enjoying that.
0: Yeah. And I think looking back now in the first three episodes, they really were just a primer of what the rest of the show was going to be. They really were just set up. I think I even said this on our first episode about it, but it felt like those three episodes worked to like, A, introduce you to the style of Rogue One again. B, they had to reintroduce us to Cassian. And then C, they had to actually start telling the story of the show and kind of kick it off. That's what the ending of episode three meant to me. So it was so crazy that four starts with, OK, Luthen and Cassian just left barracks Now Luthen is leaving Cassian here. It's such I mean, Luthan will get to, I'm sure, but a very fascinating character. And I think once they kind of got all the intros out of the way, I was I, I was able to fully buy into the show, especially starting with the Aldani heist. It was just crazy to see Cassian dropped into this environment, and it's like, "All right, I'll pay you to help them with this heist and it's like even Cassian's like, "Well, why the fuck would these people work with what What are we doing? <laughs> like this isn't going to work, and it's just like, Eh, it'll work, and then you find out Luther will basically just do anything to ensure this mission is a success because he believes that these types of like guerrilla tactics are necessary to get the rebels, i guess, to find success against the Empire.
1: Well, and they just need cash. They need to be able
0: to fund their yeah. network. Yeah. Yeah. Because Mon Mothma's obviously in a position where it's a bit harder to, you know, fund publicly. So I like those conversations as well. But yeah, I don't know. I thought pff, I mean, just the heist in general, I thought was so great. I loved getting to meet these characters. I already mentioned, you know, Skeen, of course, but all of these characters like at this camp as part of this, um, like, I guess, faction, so to speak, of the... The rebels. I thought they were all so interesting and they felt so different from any Star Wars character that we've met before. That probably goes back to your original point, Austin, about why you like the show. It's like, yes, they are part of the rebels and that's a big thing in Star Wars, but more importantly, they just feel like normal people that chose to be here. And of course, you know, we'll get to like the scheme betrayal, but it's nice that there's agency with these characters. It's nice to know like they chose to be here and like they actually believe in the cause. So I don't know. I, I thought that's not that's not really something we see a lot in Star Wars. Like they kind of just tell us, oh, here's somebody. They're part of the rebels. And it's like, OK, I guess they're a good person. But I like that there was more complexity here.
1: That's my favorite part about this show is they're really willing to spend time in the gray area of these characters, where I feel like in the past with Star Wars, it's kind of always black and white. Like this person's a Jedi. This person's a Sith. Jedi good, Sith bad. And then we just move on. Like it, there's never any room for people to kind of maneuver in that gray area. And that's my favorite part about this rogue, about originally Rogue One, and now this show is all these characters kind of exist in the gray. Like Cassian's here to help out, but he's also kind of out to just get rich, kind of like Skeen was. Uh, he has a little bit more moral ground where he won't just totally backstab people, but he's still at the end of the day is just there for money. He hasn't bought into the cause yet. And then even with people on the Empire side of things, like not everybody in the show that works for the Empire or is aligned with the Empire is inherently bad. Some of them are just on this side because they're trying to watch out for their planets and their cities and they don't want their stuff to get overrun and it's just easier to align with the Empire at this stage so I really like that we're willing to spend time in the gray in this show
2: yeah for sure it's like in the normal in the the regular movies trilogy movies um they're always just jumping from like one thing to another like we're on the Millennium Falcon now now we're on Tatooine now we're at Coruscant, walking through the halls, you never actually see them doing, like, any normal human stuff. Yeah. Like, these guys, you're watching them, like, at camp. like, you're watching them eat and drink and just talk like and normal shave. people. Yeah, shave. Like, you never see Obi-Wan eat, you know, sit down and eat. You never see Luke Skywalker, like, yeah, shave, Austin.
1: But, Keith, as you, as you love to remind us of Keith, though, we do see Luke Skywalker drink that green milk. Oh, that's true. That is a that is that is a normal human. That's thing, why he's my hero. <laughs> uh,
0: but even then, yeah, I mean, like seeing Nemec basically journaling about their endeavors and their beliefs, and uh, it it feels it's it's just great writing because that feels like very mundane, and it's like okay, this is kind of informing the character of Nemec, making me adhere myself to him. But then as it goes on, you realize, oh, this is actually kind of cool. You know, after he dies, Cassian gets the journal, and it's like okay. I can totally see now, five years from now, uh, at least in the time of the show, whenever Rogue One happens, why is Cassian like a full-fledged rebel member? It's probably because he got to meet somebody like this guy, Nemec. So the journaling was not only like to ground the show, but it also is informing other characters like Cassian. It's like, oh, man, just great writing choices. Really cool.
1: So let's talk a bit more about kind of the rebel network that we've been presented. Um, We haven't got a ton of like the broader rebel scale outside of, of what we've seen on Aldani. But with Luthan and Saw's conversation at the end of episode eight, they do mention all these other factions that are involved. And we haven't seen them all yet. I'm assuming we're going to at some point. But I, I've kind of enjoyed how there are these different pockets here, but none of them like each other or get along. So they're just not working together right now. They're not communicating. So it, it's, a, it's a fractured network. And Luthan, is, it seems like right now, is the only one who can be like, you guys are idiots. We need to put these petty stuff aside to band together. That's the only way we stand a chance. So how, how have you guys enjoyed the network and then kind of how Luthan plays into that network currently? Him and
2: Saw's conversation was really interesting because, like you said, Luthan sees things from a bigger perspective and Saw's more like localized. He's like, you guys can't put aside your petty differences
1: for like one second. Saw's like, petty!
2: Petty. Petty. Petty.
1: <laughs> he's a, like, and I think he even says, like, he's an ultra nationalist or whoever wants him, whoever he wants him to work with. Like, they're just, their ideologies don't align.
0: What he says is, like, because I'm with Luth and I'm like, come on, Saw. Like, I, it's also weird because we know where Saw ends up as, like, a fully radicalized, like, the rebels even hate Saw by the time Rogue One rolls around. But um, in, in, in this case, like, I was like, come on, Saw, what are you talking about? Like, I was like, come on, yeah, put aside your petty differences. But then when Saw's like, that guy's a separatist. And then it's like, oh, and then I was thinking back, oh, yeah, well, in the prequels, the separatists were some of the big bads aligned with Count Dooku. So I was like, I mean, I guess I can't really fault Saw there. I mean, why would he trust this guy all of a sudden? So, again, it just goes to what you are saying, Austin. There's
1: a total gray area there. And I like that. And it just feels um, we're going to probably sound like a broken record, but that just feels normal. Like even in our world, people who may have common interests still can't work together because there's petty things that get in the way or there's different ideologies that get in the way. So. Um, it it kind of feels like watching politics, like there's big political parties, but then even within those political parties, there's other factions and other ideologies and they don't even always get along. So it has been so like real and lived in to see it in the Star Wars.
0: And what's the big complaint about the prequels, at least like from younger people? I know I've said this a lot. It's like, oh, God, it's like so, so political. Like, I understand the original trilogy had the politics in it and it was made from that background. but. The prequels God, they just went too much into it, and I think this show is just an example of if you have good writing, then I'm down for politics in Star Wars, <laughs> so George Lucas maybe just wasn't the right guy to write the prequel specifically, but yeah, I mean this I, I'm loving the politics here, way more interesting
1: yeah, the prequels know for George Lucas, but then if you look at the original trilogy, like the Empire when at the time he's writing this like the Empire is, is the Nazi regime. So, like, seeing those influences there are really cool. Um, but when we get beyond that broader premise and try to go deeper in the prequels, George Lucas is not the guy there.
2: And I, I don't think it's too much in your face with this at all, politics wise. I mean, it's part of the Star Wars story because you always know that politics is what stemmed the whole rivalry anyway between Palpatine and everybody else, but you never really know why. Which is kind of like, oh, he wants things different, he wants order and peace in the galaxy. But he's going to do that by killing a lot of people and making planets suffer.
1: I actually really hope we get a Tales of the Jedi on Palpatine. That would be cool. I mean, Keith, that's another
0: great thing about the show. What you just said, talking about Palpatine and the Sith, is literally Luthen in this show. Yeah, achieving this peace like through order, and like he's even, he's said it several times now, including to Mon Mothma. But he's totally fine with several you know people dying and suffering in order to get to the greener pastures. After that. Uh, so, yeah, it's like, OK, that's a different character than I've seen in Star Wars before, at least for one that's supposedly on the good side, at least.
2: Very interesting. Yeah, because the payroll that they stole is going to affect a lot of good people, too, that are working for the Empire. There's a lot of innocent people working for the Empire.
1: And we see that in the prison, too. Yeah. All of those guys are like we had our sentences doubled because of these actions. So I like that we're also seeing that the rebel network isn't it's not a positive thing for a lot of people in the galaxy at this time. Yeah, there's positive and negatives, because like you
0: said, the people in the prison had their sentences doubled because of the Aldani heist. So it's like, oh, fuck. Cassian's like, oh, oh, my bad. But there's also positives, because whenever he has that beautiful scene with Fiona Shaw as his mother in the show, Marva, uh, she reacts to the, the heist positively. She reacts to it as now I'm finally I can finally stand up. I feel like I can kind of be more confident and rebel against this bullshit. Like I'm gonna stay here and try and make this place better because of that heist, which Cassian's involved with. So there's positive and negative connotations for sure. And I like that.
1: And can we talk about just how visually cool that heist was Ugh. with the eye in the sky, but then also just seeing like the the coin banks that they're loading onto the ship and it was awesome. That's some of the coolest yeah. shit I've seen in Star Wars in a long time.
0: I have not felt tension and suspense like I did watching Maybe episode six, I guess. The one that was the actual heist. I was uncomfortable for like the hour watching it. I was like, (laughs) it was just so hard to watch. And most of them ended up dying. So, (laughs) I mean, that was the release of it. But man, I was, I wanted them to get out of there so bad. (laughs)
1: So you guys want to talk about the Empire a bit more? Because um, yeah. that's the part of this show that I just think is so fascinating. I've always thought the Empire's like their stuff looks really cool, but like the actual motivations, so I'm like, yeah, they're just a bad faction, but actually getting to learn more about where they're at currently, um, where all their advisors are at and like the goals they're trying to achieve, um, the way they're like making policy and, and how the rebels actions are influencing their policies and, and stuff like that has just been so cool to see in this universe
2: just like the meetings alone uh
1: with Dedra and her coworkers <laughs> and everybody else is just it's kind of comical and you're like rooting for Dedra in those meetings which is really fascinating with the writing and even the way Cyril has started to fit back into the story has been really cool cuz i'm like rooting for him and Dedra to team up even though i know that's going to be bad for Cassian and everybody else i know
0: yeah and he's like a terrible person <laughs> like i hate yeah. this guy but somehow i don't know like they set him up to be such a bad guy in those first three episodes. But then episode four, he immediately is like forced to live at home with his annoying mom. And immediately <laughs> you're like, eh, I get it. So they kind of like somehow adhered us to a, like him again, like just by doing that, like very weird. I've never seen a character in star Wars eat cereal, by the way,
2: never thought I would see that. Uh And we get more milk and it's blue. We get milk more milk, time. baby. More milk.
1: <laughs> And I get that weird champagne time. with the worm in it, too. Ew, that,
0: I did not. Yeah, I did not like that. <laughs> that bothered me. Yeah, on the serial side of things, it was interesting to see. I mean, his story doesn't advance too much, obviously, in, in these latest episodes. He's now working again for the Empire, the ISB, I guess, but in a non-hands-on role. But like you said, Austin, like whenever he meets up with Deidre, it's like, yeah, I, I sense a team up coming. Uh, And you kind of want the truth to get out there and you understand his frustration, but you also don't want him to get back out there because that's bad for Cassian. And probably the best example of what I was referring to earlier is like I was totally rooting for Deidre the entire time. I was like, yeah, I think she should be in a higher position. And I always forgot that we're talking about the Empire. <laughs> like, oh, wait, maybe that's bad. Uh But then when it to her finally in a hands-on role on Ferex, her first thing she does is she tortures this guy. And it's like, oh, I – uh I, I regret rooting for you. <laughs> so I mean that's that's what they're doing. It's like, yeah, I can root for her to get like the respect she deserves, but then, you know, once they go they remind you, oh, but wait, this is the Empire, and then like she immediately gets the Ferex and tortures the shop owner that Dix works with, and it's like, Jesus.
1: I'm glad you pointed that out because the way some of these Empire characters are in this show, like like rooting for Deidre and stuff, I was worried, oh no, am I gonna like start to care about the Empire a little bit in this show? But then the second we see them interact with everyday people, they're still cruel. So the show's doing a really good job of getting you invested, but then also not towing away from the fact that the Empire is this oppressive, um, all-consuming regime that's active right now.
0: I guess something that will be interesting is, will any of these characters defect to the rebels? Because we've seen a lot of that happen. We've seen, of course, Finn was a former stormtrooper. We know Bill Burr's character in Mando was a former stormtrooper or just like a former Empire person. Yeah. Um, there's somebody else. There's. Uh, oh, yeah. And then even on the heist team we had people that were either currently working for the empire or had previously worked for the empire so oh yeah
1: the captain yeah i wonder if we'll see bill burr pop up in this show like maybe as active for the empire oh yeah
2: in this timeline oh he probably active would for still the be, empire yeah yeah and in, in his timeline that we
1: see him in mando that's after Return this would be like Jedi, 10 so years
0: earlier i guess 10 to
1: 15 years yeah so possible i am thinking there's a chance uh just with how it's, how much screen time she's gotten that we see Deidre defect by the end. Yeah, we're either going to see
2: her turn or we're going to hate her by the end. We're going to want her dead.
1: She just seems so willing to go against like the status quo of, of how the politics are playing within her little regime that it seems like she is open to questioning things. And also we're talking a lot about the real world
0: parallels um, that you see with a grounded show like this. I mean, you can get stuff like People just (laughs) that struggle to get a promotion, for example, like we're seeing that in the context of somebody working for the Empire and then even the more serious issues like kind of the whole anti cop thing. I think this show is tackling pretty, pretty well, pretty strongly, and it, it feels powerful. Uh, Lots of things happening in our real world that Andor is tackling in a very sometimes subtle, sometimes head on, but in my opinion, all the right ways. And I think that kind of dovetails into, you know, the start of the new arc we're getting, which, uh, like I said, I guess we can just call it the prison arc. Um, Like labor, like and how they're tackling that, like almost it's really bizarre, um, like how real it feels in the context of Star Wars. But I'm super excited for this arc. So before we move on to a different topic, you guys want to talk about? kind of just the prison stuff in general because it definitely has ties to the empire as we know
1: yeah the prison is so the actual structure itself i think is so cool and and also so scary at the same time like at first i was like oh you just have to work it doesn't seem like of all the places you could end up in the empire this doesn't seem like the worst place uh but then actually seeing like how they're pitting each team against each other and the food they have to eat and and the electric floor and all that like it's it's really terrifying um and it's so cool to see because like Think about, like, how did the Empire get to the scale that we see in all the movies? Like, how are they this big of a fleet? And it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's prison labor. Like, of course they use that. And so it, it's, that's cool to actually see that, like, addressed in Star Wars.
2: Yeah, really cool. I felt like I was in an episode of Black Mirror watching this last episode yeah. in the prison. Uh, I was watching it with my dad. My dad was like, this is scary. This is straight oh, up freaky. hold on, Keith. This is the thing I always want to talk about. What is uh, Your dad
0: is one of the biggest Star Wars fans I know. So can you give us just like a quick what is Joe Baker's thoughts on Andor? Because this is such a different show, I have to know.
2: Oh, he's he's loving it. Nice. Does Joe Baker nice. like Rogue One? Yeah, he loved Rogue One. Yeah. Oh, he so he hated the last trilogy that came out, obviously. And but all the shows, Obi Wan, Mando, uh, Boba, Mando more than Boba and Obi Wan. Uh, he's been liking Andor though. I think he's liking the most out of all of them. Nice, nice. That's that's a high praise for everybody out there listening. By the way, that's very yeah. This is a guy who saw the uh, a New Hope in 1978 <laughs> whenever he was like 17 years old. So if he likes Andor, <laughs> then that's a that's a pretty good there sign. You go.
1: Well, and it's cool for a, a fan like him to who's grown up with this for so long, and now he gets to see like a whole totally new story presented in the Star Wars universe. It's got to be really exciting.
2: Yeah, I'm going to show him Tales too because he hasn't seen Tales yet. And I think he'll like that as well.
0: Yeah. I've seen some people pointing out online, and maybe this is just one of those, maybe we're connecting it to things too much, so maybe we shouldn't. But since everybody in this prison, at least, seemed to be building like the exact same parts and so many of them, people were like, well, what out there in Star Wars would require this many of the exact same part? And people are like, maybe the Death Star. Maybe the Empire is utilizing these people to help them build the Death Star. And if that's true, that would be kind of a poetic thing for Cassian. He's literally helping him them build a thing that will kill him in a few years.
1: So, uh, we'll see. Yeah, I totally forgot about, like, if he is building a Death Star, I totally forgot he gets killed by that at the end. So that would be interesting if, if we do find that out. But also, like, we're only seeing what this room is building, and there's clearly a lot of other rooms in this facility. So, like, this just might be the engine coupling room, and then there's another room that maybe is building, like, uh, starfighter wings or something, and maybe it just all gets like assembled as it moves up through the facility. This is just
2: one facility. It was kind of cool whenever we see the line of prisoners go out of the, uh, the like the courthouse or something like that, and they're all yeah. being separated into, into different ships. And they're like, he's going to Nakari Five.
1: And this is just one little village we saw on this like tiny subset of a planet. So if, if they're doing this all over, like imagine how much forced labor they have just building their fleets. Yeah, and I'm guessing this arc is
0: going to lead to like a prison escape, uh, because I liked seeing. Like, they were showing people from this room using, like, sign language or something to communicate with people in other lines in the facility. So it's like, okay, I think they might be setting something up there. Um, but Andy Circus will have none of it. But I will say, I'm really glad he's here, because
1: he was awesome. <laughs> How rock hard do you think Cyril's going to be when he finds out that Cassian's locked up in a, in a prison cell right now? Uh, that's not going to be enough for Cyril.
0: He, has to, he, he wants to go to the prison and talk shit to him face to face. That's the only thing that will make him feel better.
2: He's got to clear his name, as he said.
0: <laughs> got to clear my name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, speaking of like what's to come before we move on to Tales here, um, what are you guys hoping for? We only have, I guess, now f- – I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to do math in my head. Uh, we only have four episodes left. Uh, we know, I guess, maybe two of those episodes will be in the prison, and then they'll, maybe they'll do like a two-ish like finale-feeling thing. And then we have season two coming, and that will be it. And season two will lead into Rogue One. So what are you guys just in general hoping for the rest of the season and or in general? What do you want to see?
1: I haven't stopped thinking about from our first episode we did, uh, Keith brought up, do we get to see the formation of the Hoth base? And I just, if we see that in the show, I'll be so thrilled. I think that'd be so cool to see. Um, but just in general, I'm I'm looking to, I'm really excited to see how Cassian gets like bought into the rebel cause and becomes the character that we see in Rogue One. That That's the arc I'm most interested in seeing. Um, and then I, I just am so fascinated by the Empire side of this story that I hope we just get more and more of that. And just seeing them, seeing both these networks build up at the same time, I think is is my favorite like dueling storyline in this show.
2: Yeah, man, there's a lot I would like to see. Um, I'm with you, Austin, for sure. It'd be cool to see some bases, you know, start coming up like Hoth or the, one, or the big one on uh, Yavin. I don't know about you guys, and I won't be upset if it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, I would be like, holy shit. Do you think we might get an appearance from Palpatine in this at all?
0: I have to imagine. I mean, they talk about him so much and he is like the figurehead of the Senate. I mean, I feel like it would be totally reasonable to have like a scene that's actually in the Senate. We've seen Mon Mothma in like that classic look of the prequel era Senate where like those like pods that just surround the entire room with like that middle one where the emperor stands i wouldn't be surprised if we see him i mean clearly ian McDiarmid is like fully bought in i mean we'll talk about tales in a second but he voiced the emperor and that so it yeah. seems like he'd be totally down to come back and you know play him in live action too since he did that in rise of skywalker so i think we will i think the show in general wants to stay away from those big like oh cameos but that one i think would just make sense for the story so
1: do you think if we do see like a maybe the first like big initial battle or or some sort of base getting assaulted. Like, do you think there's any chance we see Vader or the Inquisitors like on the battlefield and just see like how terrifying that is to these characters?
0: I don't know. I guess it would make sense if they did like a full on battle like that. You think you would have them involved in some capacity.
1: I just feel like somebody that high up in the Empire like would want to see this like for themselves. Like what does this rebellion look like? Like how can I go squash this immediately? Like I think it would make a lot of sense if like the only time we saw a Sith in this show would be like on the battlefield.
0: Yeah, I think that's possible. I I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I think you can go ahead and write it in at some point. I think by the end of the season, we'll see Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa um, because he was in Rogue One and he and Mon Mothma had a lot of conversations. So we have to see how he comes into the fold, especially since we know that he's always been bought into the rebel cause ever since like Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. So what is going to be the thing that pushes him to do that? I think the Obi-Wan Kenobi show did a lot of that heavy lifting. And that took place five years before this, so that you could easily bring him in and kind of tie him into that cause as well, help him get involved. And he has a lot of money, so maybe that is a way that they address the Mon Mothma, like, this is hard to fund things, so maybe you get somebody else like him involved. So I bet we'll see him too. The The only other thing before we move on that I'm excited about is I was pretty hyped when, I guess, Episode 7 ended, and you had the K2SO-style droid Ooh, yes. come in and arrest Cassian. Uh, and so obviously, naturally, he's going to be very scared and put off by that style of droid. So I think that they've said that Alan Tudyk isn't coming in until season two as K2SO. But I'm very excited to see how they become friends in the first place, because it's going to be an awkward uh, introduction because Cassian's not going to like that style of droid. It looks exactly like K2SO. So I'm excited for that uh, friendship.
1: And Cassian better go back for B2EMO or he's just a bad parent. <laughs>
0: yeah. And we'll see, because they're setting up Marva. I think she's going to die soon. Yeah. She's sick all of a sudden because she's going out and, like, you know, uh, rallying the rebel cause on Ferrix. So she's getting sick because of it. So I think she's not long for this world, unfortunately.
2: I don't know where K2SO-type robots are at this point. If there are any in the prison, do you think K2SO could be a player in him escaping the prison?
1: They're going to need something. Maybe he can carry him across that electric floor like a little baby. Oh,
2: <laughs> <A> little baby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. I'm excited about Andor. I'm sure we're going to do an episode or like a bonus or something uh, in a few weeks whenever it ends to talk about like our final thoughts and those final episodes and our like full on predictions for season two. But before we get to that, I mean, before we move on to Tales, I guess I should say any just final things. Or are we good to go?
1: Star Wars is good now. <laughs>
0: I don't think Tales is going to be a super long conversation, guys. You know, not a lot of episodes, certainly not a lot of time, but I think there's still some fun things to talk about. So let's go ahead and break it down like we always do. Austin and Keith, you want to hit me up with the cast and crew for this one? A lot of Clone Wars returnees.
1: Yeah, so Tales of the Jedi is created and written by Dave Filoni, who is the Star Wars uh, czar of animation. Uh, He's behind the Clone Wars, Rebels, uh, Parts of the Mandalorian, Boba Fett, and a lot more. He wrote five episodes, and Charles and Ellen Murray wrote episode four, uh, concluding Dooku's arc. And then episodes of this show are directed by Nathaniel Villanova, Charles Murray, and Saul Rids. Our score for the show is composed by Kevin Keener, who did all of the Clone Wars and Rebels projects, along with John Williams' original themes, and as always, based on characters in Star Wars created by George Lucas.
2: All right, and going into our cast, we have Ashley Eckstein as Ahsoka Tano, Corey Burton as Count Dooku. Janina Gavankar as Pav-T. T.C. Carson as Mace Windu. Liam Neeson as Quagon gon Neeson's son, Mikel Richardson, uh, is voicing young Quagon gon Matt Lanter as Anakin Skywalker. James Arnold Taylor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Phil Lamar as Bail Organa. D. Bradley Baker as Captain Rex and the clones. Clancy Brown, Mr. Krabs, as the Inquisitor. <laughs> and we got Bryce Dallas Howard as Yaddle. And Ian McDermott is voicing Darth Sidious. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives? What do we got?
1: Yeah, mine is uh, Corey Burton as Count Dooku. Thought the performance was great. Uh, the voice, just for whatever reason, reminds me of Alan Richmond as uh, Severus Snape. So that was fun. I just I get a Snape vibe from this character in the show. Um, yeah, thought he was fantastic. And the, the voice acting is, is top notch.
2: Yeah, I'll shout out that too. I think he's probably the best, one of the cooler voices on this one. It's hard to shout out for animated. I think everybody's voices was pretty good, um, but I was just—I'll just go ahead and shout out. It was cool to see uh, Liam Neeson voice uh, Qui Gon Jinn again. That was really—that was really badass. That he came back, and same with Amy McDermott as Darth Sidious.
0: Yeah, I, I just thought even though that scene between Qui Gon and Count Dooku was kind of mundane, it was just Dooku basically asking about Maul. Of course, the scene that we saw in Episode One, uh, but it was just cool to see Qui Gon and Count Dooku have a scene together because they never did, and then in live action like 2, who just probes Obi-Wan about Qui-Gon in episode two. So it was nice to see something
1: there. Matt, did you enjoy seeing uh, Kratos himself be Mace Windu? I did like
0: that. I thought that was a, another great voice. I'm kind of with Keith. I think everybody's voice is great. And I'm excited to watch Clone Wars, like I said at the beginning, because I can see more of these voice actors doing their thing. I thought they were all awesome. Um, Ashley Eckstein, from everything I've seen, I always like her as Ahsoka. But the one that, that surprised me, that I have to call it out, I thought Bryce Dallas Howard <laughs> killed it as Yaddle. Great performance. She was great. Um, Yaddle is an iconic character because she is, of course, the same species as Yoda. She had no lines in Phantom Menace, but you can see her just sitting in the background of a lot of the shots in the council. And then everybody was like, of course, like, wait, there's another Yoda. But then you never see her again. She is never in any of the other movies or shows. So I like that this show kind of addressed that weirdness. Uh, so that, that was super fun. And Bryce House Howard did great. Uh, but my main shout out actually, and again, another fucking reason I got to go watch Clone Wars and Rebels. Kevin K- uh, Kiner's score was on crack. Oh, it was yeah. like, Especially was with so Yaddle sick. raising up that door. Oh, man. It was so good. So I'm excited to hear the music and his other projects because, uh, yeah, just great. So since we haven't talked about Tales before, let's get into the critical reception real quick. Uh, Tales of the Jedi only has 13 critic reviews so far since it is new. But despite that, it currently holds an approval rating of 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The website's critical consensus reads, under the reliable stewardship of Dave Filoni, Tales of the Jedi is an absorbing expansion of Star Wars lore that will delight Padawan-level fans and encyclopedic force scholars alike. Praise went toward the pathos, lore expansion, and performances of the returning voice actors. Only potential negative I could find is some people really liked the Ahsoka content, but felt, kind of like you said, Austin, the Dooku stuff was more required viewing. The Ahsoka stuff was really good, but it just felt like the Dooku stuff was maybe a bit more important.
1: Yeah, I kind of feel like you could have just called this Dooku a Star Wars story, just to be in line with like the spinoffs they've done. Because you can tell what they really wanted to tell you in this show was the Dooku story.
2: Yeah, I liked liked what we got with the Ahsoka, though. Um, Me too. And especially the last episode. Um, with her, her training and all that, and then and the fallout of Order 66 was really cool to see.
1: I was confused with the Order 66 stuff, just because, and I haven't seen The Clone Wars, so I'm sure this is addressed yeah. there, but I was surprised to see her paired with a clone trooper who didn't, I guess, follow through on Order 66.
0: Right. And that was one thing, of course, he didn't really explain in this show, because from what I understand, that's fully explained in The Clone Wars, but I can't remember the gist of it. I think... I'm sure there's way more to like, way more detail to it, but I think Rex, to some degree, was able to resist his programming. Um, I think that's the idea, but I'm not fully sure.
1: Man, I have started Clone Wars so many times. I just need to sit down and finish it. I need to start I, it. I'm trying to think of what to do because I mean it's like
0: seven seasons and it's a lot of episodes, but like the big thing online is. Because there's so many random side episodes that don't have, like, much to do. So they there's people online that have, like, curated a list of, like, maybe, I don't know, 20, 25 episodes that are like, just watch these. It makes sense if you just pick and choose these ones. You don't have to watch random C3PO or Jar Jar episodes. Just watch these ones. So I'm, I'm wondering, should I just watch the whole thing or should I just watch this curated list? So. I haven't decided yet.
1: But don't you want to watch General Grievous just say Count Dooku over and over? <laughs> I do want to watch that. That is a good point.
0: <laughs> I was trained in the Jedi arts by Count Dooku. <laughs> that could be Tales of the Jedi season two, Awesome, We could finally see General Grievous learn from Count Dooku. <laughs> watch him cough the whole time. <laughs> oh, my God. Please, no. I never want to see him again. Dooku. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You fool! Right. you know, I'm <coughs> trained in the Jedi oh. uh,
0: Now that we joke about that, we're definitely that's definitely going to happen. And like, cut to two years from now, we're going to be like, I always, I never really liked General Grievous, but oh man, his emotional journey was so beautiful. I think he <laughs> might be my favorite Star Wars character.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I know how I know how the meeting's going to go. Dave Filoni is going to be writing out this brand new, just great season of Tales of the Jedi. And then John Favreau is just going to kick down the door and say, show me, Dooku. Oh, John, John, we like you, but stay out of this one. We don't need
0: you, buddy. <laughs> uh, all right. So, I mean, obviously the main, you know, kind of roundtable discussion points here are just centered around the Ahsoka content and the Dooku content. But before we get to that, I mean, was there anything you guys wanted to talk about in general with like the animation, like some of the action sequences or just like standout scenes in general, regardless of what character it focused on?
1: My standout, I think, is the first Duku episode. The seeing them interact with this village and like uh, rescuing the senator's son and, and seeing where everyone's perspectives are and, and how that influences the way Duku operates. was I thought that was really cool. That one definitely
2: introduces you
1: to like, okay,
2: Duku is he's a Jedi, but there's some, he's definitely troubled inside right now, like something's going on where he's not quite, you know following like the Jedi Jedi way, like whenever he goes into the um, I think it was like like a kind of like a bar or cantina kind of thing. He just puts his lightsaber on the table to kind of intimidate everybody in there. And no other Jedi would do that. Like, that's not something like they would normally do. So like that right there already shows you like Dooku is on his way out (laughs) of the Jedi.
1: And then seeing him force choke somebody, too. But I
0: understood his frustration. Like, I totally understood. It's like, yeah, why are we fucking puppets of the Senate? We're supposed we have this code. We're Jedi. Why are we just going out on missions that they force us to with their own agenda? It doesn't make sense. Like Mace Windu can say all, all he wants, like, well, you know, we have our own thing. And it's like, well, we don't. Like, What are you talking about? So, like, I totally understood uh, his frustration. Because l- let's go back to the prequels for a second. As we remember, the Jedi, in my opinion, are responsible for their own fucking downfall. Their ego, their weird readings of prophecies. Like, I mean, they're stupid. Like, <laughs> And the fact that Yoda knew he had visions of Anakin slaughtering people and, like, he never said anything about it. It's like, what? Great work, Yoda. <laughs> I mean, they're they're dumb. Um, obviously, I'm being hyperbolic, but I think the point still stands. And this show did a great job of like expanding on how somebody like Dooku would feel the same way as the audience <laughs> and be like, "You guys are I don't get this at all."
1: It's interesting to see that his motivations too would probably align with like what the rebels are trying to do. Like he wants he's trying to give power back to the people. So I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty interesting too to see those kind of early things. Obviously, he's not around to see the re- the rebels. You know. The rebel stuff form, but it was cool to see that he has those same motivations. Yeah,
0: time and place is always an interesting conversation. It's if the Jedi had to all die so that the Rebel Alliance could form to like replace them to fight the Empire. So it is interesting if Count Dooku had you know maybe stayed on the side of good, so to speak. Could he have found his way to something like that? Because the ideals definitely aligned there. Uh, before we get into like the uh, details of the original, like like the storylines themselves, my favorite sequence by far. Was actually right after the Yaddle fight. Whenever I slowly got to realize, wow, Count Dooku, aka Darth Tyrannus, became uh, Palpatine's uh, apprentice the exact same way Anakin became his apprentice. Mm-hmm. Like he had to kill a Jedi master, feel horrible about it, and then basically the Emperor, like, used that pain to twist them in order to like force them to his side i was like holy shit that's awesome <laughs> like i i loved that parallel i thought it was so cool
2: yeah i was like i said earlier it was just cool to see like the, some gaps filled in uh especially with dooku like we knew when you watch an uh, attack of the clones when you watch mace windu and him interact you, you can kind of tell there's like a bit of history with between him and windu and that they he even calls windu my old friend you know so like oh, okay like wh- what were they you know how, where were they in, in the past and We actually got to see them like have a little scene together on the ship and have they had that kind of like a philosophical conversation.
1: Um, So that was cool. It's interesting to see how Dooku might think Windu is a little bit corrupt, too, because he uses the other Jedi's murder to get a place on the council. So just seeing how all that kind of influences things and tracks like the Dooku stuff felt very grounded and like coming off from Andor to this and still seeing like a grounded Star Wars animation project like really excites me for the future of this IP.
0: Me too. It was also fantastic because I believe if I recall, maybe I'm just like Mandela affecting here and projecting it on like my past experiences with the prequels. But the way Dooku talks about Qui-Gon in episode two, uh, it- that scene always felt a little bit goofy. But it's great here because you see 100% why Qui-Gon was, Qui-Gon was respected in the Phantom Menace, but he was also acknowledged to be a rebel amongst the Jedi. Um, And watching this show, you completely kind of get it. It's like because his master was Count Dooku. Mm -hmm. So those ideals kind of transferred onto him. Uh, But Qui-Gon, I think just another thing that makes him an interesting character is he was able to keep those good qualities, but stay on the side of good while also kind of not just fighting for the Senate. He's kind of fighting more for the Jedi and himself and Obi-Wan and Anakin and all that. So I liked how having Qui-Gon as a younger character in the show, kind of informed the older Qui-Gon that we see, not only in this show, but in The Phantom Menace. I thought that was super cool. And then speaking of Qui-Gon, before I move on to the Ahsoka stuff, I just another scene. We talked about how the show does passage of time in a way that's surprising because you don't know at first that it's the passage of time. But just some quick little hits for me before we continue here is I love getting Dooku's reaction to Qui-Gon's death um, and his refusal to go to his funeral. I thought was a very powerful scene him talking to Yaddle like at that tree that he always took Qui-Gon to because it was like the tree in Coruscant because it's a city of steel as he puts it. But that was really cool to see his reaction to his apprentice's death. Someone that even though he was at that point already on the dark side, he still, you know, loved Qui-Gon. And seeing him be angry with Sidious was cool too. Yeah, I really like that. And then my last little just quick thing, uh it was nice because I remember way back when we did our review of Attack of the Clones, we just talked about how fucking goofy the scene is where Obi-Wan goes to the library to find Kamino. It's not there. And then he goes to Yoda and is like, where is it? And then one of the, like the dumb kids is like, I think you should go there anyway. And then Yoda's like, wow, the mind of children's so good. It's like, OK, great, <laughs> great advice. I didn't know where it was. And then you told me to go there anyway. It's like an extended 20 minute scene that didn't need to exist. But in this show, it was really cool to start the episode uh, with the passage of time and Dooku just deleting Kamino from the archives. I thought that was super fun, super fun reference and uh, really cool. And how they,
2: don't forget how they laughed at Obi-Wan, too, when Yoda was like, yeah. he lost his star system? How embarrassing. How embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yoda deserved to like go into exile,
0: honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. We talked a lot about the Dooku stuff. Uh, like we said at the top here, I like that they chose Dooku and Ahsoka as the two leads of this. Hopefully first season, because like I said, I want to see more. But I like... Getting to see two Jedi's, former Jedi's, get disillusioned in different ways and then leave the Jedi Order. So let's go ahead and bring into Ahsoka to the conversation. Obviously, that first episode was just about her uh, as an infant and showing the Force for the first time. And then after the Dooku arc, we get those returning stuff, which, you know, I guess showed her and Anakin's relationship, how she survived Order 66 through that like drill training. And then, of course, the post Order 66 stuff. So what do you guys want to talk about with Ahsoka here?
1: I think my thing with Ahsoka, and this might be my biggest criticism of the show, is it's it's really cool to get more time with this character, especially as someone who hasn't watched the Clone Wars yet. And I'm sure anybody listening that has watched the Clone Wars wants to like snap their headphones by now and just tell us to go sit <laughs> down and watch the Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, but it, this show just didn't really tell me anything that I didn't already know about Ahsoka. So like, it's cool to get more time with her, but I didn't learn anything new from this side of the story.
2: I think the only thing that's interesting is that about her character that we already knew is the fact that she was Anakin's only padawan as far as we know so it's kind of cool to see him actually training her
1: and training her in a way that would theoretically allow her to survive order 66 too like having her train fighting off clone troopers going
2: going back to the theme we've been talking about how there's like a lot of little little all the little rebellious things in dooku quaegon jinn and then anakin of course how some some of those rebellious things actually turn out to be good things for some of these people and especially ahsoka after order 66 I didn't even think about that, Keith. Wow. I didn't even think about the lineage here. Like Count
0: Dooku is the earliest version as like a rebel, if you want to call him that. That passes down to Qui-Gon. Even though Anakin knew Qui-Gon as a kid, you can still imagine that even though Obi-Wan was training him, some of the Qui-Gon stuff would pass down to Anakin, and then he would pass that down to Ahsoka.
2: Yeah, pretty cool. Um, but I think really the, mo- the more impactful episode was the last one, seeing her train with Anakin and then and seeing her defeat one of the Inquisitors was really cool, too.
1: My favorite thing about the Ahsoka story is just watching Anakin unknowingly give her the skills that's going to later allow her to survive the things that him and Palpatine put in motion.
0: And from the clips I've seen from the Clone Wars, I love Anakin and Ahsoka's relationship. It feels very different from most Jedi Knights and their Padawans. So just getting a little bit of a more of that here was really great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I thought I'm kind of I guess I'm with you, Keith. I thought the, the last episode was a bit more it just feels like there's more to talk about there, I guess. Um, I'm a big fan of the game Jedi Fallen Order. Um, so there's kind of similarities there with like how people have to, the Jedis that survived Order 66 have to like live in, live in a way that they can't reveal themselves. We saw Obi-Wan do some of that in his show. Uh, so that was really cool, but she didn't even try and hide it. Whenever somebody was in danger, she had to save them. And that feels very in line with Ahsoka. But yeah, I really liked that last episode and kind of showing how she, um, Eventually got back into the fight, so to speak, thanks to you know Bail Organa kind of looking out for her in a way and wanting to you know stay in touch with her. I thought that was really cool. And that last Inquisitor fight was awesome. I liked that there wasn't much to it. I liked that she didn't like just randomly pull out two lightsabers from like her pouch or something. She just like forced dodged him a couple times, grabbed his lightsaber, and just fucking cut his head off. <laughs> I yeah, thought that, that was cool. Sick.
1: <laughs> Who do you guys think got the better minimum wage job? Uh, Obi Obi Wan in the meat market or Ahsoka baling hay? Uh, Ahsoka I don't for know. Sure. again.
0: Ahsoka, for sure. I mean, the weather. <laughs> and there's like nice places to live there. <laughs> Tatooine just sucks. Like there's nothing good about it. All right. Well, there's our thoughts. Full spoilers, of course, on Andor and Tales of the Jedi. Cannot wait for more from both of these. But before we fully close out here, we just wanted to run through some of the future projects that we know are coming. So, Austin, if I guess I'll leave this up to you. What do you want to talk about here?
1: Yeah, I don't know if we need to talk about any specific project, but I guess the thing I want to talk about the most is it was announced this week that there is, in addition to a Taika Waititi Star Wars movie, there's also a a Damon Lindelof Star Wars movie coming, and Damon Lindelof, of course, wrote uh, The Watchmen Show, Lost. He's a great writer, so having him involved with Star Wars, I think, is really cool. But the biggest piece of that news that stood out to me is Star Wars is no longer writing their movies to be trilogies. They're just trying to write standalone stories, which is a new path for star wars to go so that's exciting to me not trying to tell an entire trilogy but just tell good stories and i wanted to know kind of what you guys thought about that plan
0: i like that a lot um i guess we'll see how much they really dive into that it seems like damon lindelof would write these star wars movies or at least this first movie and then uh he recruited one of the directors from miss marvel a show that i really loved uh to be the director potentially so uh and right also this is the one they've said would take place after rise of skywalker Correct.
1: Yeah, it would take place after. It would not be like another Skywalker story, but apparently there is room for some stuff we know to uh, have some threads here in, in Damon Lindelof movie.
0: OK, I'd be down with that. I mean, like you said, Austin, I love Lost, of course, and Watchmen, but the leftovers that he did on HBO is probably one of also my favorite great shows show. in recent memory. So him being involved is really cool. I think they've said that this one seems to be like the next one up. I think Tyka's taking a little bit longer to figure out what his would be. So. Sounds like by December 2025,
1: we would see this movie. Um, so we'll see. I'm excited about it. Do you think we'll hear the Pixies' uh, Where Is My Mind in his Star Wars movie? You have to hope. You have to hope.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, just speaking in general about like the trilogy idea, I like that. I think the standalone stuff at this point after all the Skywalker stuff, that's what I would like to see. So I think they've talked about Kevin Feige and Michael Waldron working on something potentially. Taika, like you said, Ryan Johnson, I think, has talked about doing one that took place in the Knights of the Old Republic era. So very far away from anything we've seen. So, yeah, just these standalone things kind of filling out the world and the history seems really cool to me. Something I would definitely like to see.
1: Yeah, this might be sad news for you, Matt. Apparently there is still room to work on the Ryan Johnson project, but at the moment it's canceled.
0: Okay, that's fine. I do want to see a project in the Old Republic, though, like like thousands of years before uh, the prequels, like whenever the Jedi and the Sith were. It wasn't like the rule of two back then. You know, it was like kind of different. It was more like a full on war between them. I think that would be a fun story to tell at some point.
1: That'd be awesome. Um, I also just to go into the Taika movie. Taika is just such like a fun director. I'm just so fascinated to see what his Star Wars project could be, because I think it will be a very fun movie.
2: I'm with you guys. I don't want, I don't want another trilogy. Um, I think I'm good with the three trilogies we got. There's enough timeline there to fill in so many stories that we've already gotten with these three or four shows. The two movies, Rogue One and Solo. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool if they, they want to put some movies or if they want to base some movies after the three trilogies, you know, after Rise of Skywalker. That's fine. I don't know what they're going to do because it seems like everything wraps up in that. But um, I'm down to see what they what they have in store. But I don't think we need another whole other trilogy. Um, I'm I'm all I'm all good for these individual movies and and stories. And like you said, Matt, there's somewhat old Republic would be cool, even during the Republic. I know we've gotten a hell of a lot of stuff within the rebellion period. But then maybe some the first order period too, um, within the last trilogy would be cool to see some stuff in there. Definitely, yeah.
0: So I'm I'm excited for new stuff, but I'm also excited for the continuations. A lot of the projects we're, you know, seeing currently. Like obviously Mando season three. I did not like Mando season one. Season two got me super on board. And that trailer for season three, you know, basically telling us this is what we thought it was gonna be about the fall and retake of Mandalore. Um very excited to see how Mando and the team play into that. I have to imagine. The Dark Saber going to him is not gonna be a good thing for a lot of those other Mandalorian characters. So I'm excited to see that play out.
1: And I really loved what we got from the Mando story in the book of Boba Fett too. Just seeing, obviously, it undoes a lot of stuff from season two of Mando, but seeing how that's going to track into season three, I'm so excited for. I'm also really just curious to know what the Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron movie is going to look like. That movie has been in development hell, it seems like, for years now. Um, so I, I, I just want to see this and see like what is this story going to be. Yeah, we'll see. I haven't heard too much about that one as of late,
0: but I'm, I like Patty Jenkins, so I'm curious to see where that goes. Um. We've gotten a lot of news lately about some of the, like, the newer projects. Ahsoka, obviously, I'm super stoked for him. I'm imagining, based on the Mando Season 2 episode, that General Thrawn, or Admiral Thrawn, I guess, will be the villain of that. That's a villain I'm excited to get to know more. And I think they've said a lot of the Rebels characters will return in this in live action for the first time, so I'm sure that's cool for fans. But the thing that got me most hyped is um, it was either Jon Favreau or Dave Filoni said that Ahsoka is going to be a samurai story that takes place after those Mando episodes, and that just sounds really cool.
1: That's awesome. That sounds sounds so cool.
0: samurai story in Star Wars sounds sweet. The last things I wanted to mention, because I don't know how much you guys know about these projects. I guess I can shout out Lando real quick. I still don't know if that one's going to happen. Like We've known about that for so many years, and it's just nothing's come of it. I want Donald Glover to come back. I want to see Alden Ehrenreich come back as Solo. I want to see them continue that story to some degree from Lando's perspective. But who knows? The ones that I actually want to talk about, though, are Skeleton Crew and The Acolyte. Do you guys know
1: anything about those? I just know Skeleton Crew is directed by the Spider-Man director, John Watts. That's right.
0: But I think they've only revealed one cast member. It's Jude Law is going to be one of the leads, but apparently most of the show is being described as a coming-of-age story that takes place after Return of the Jedi. I, I I got the impression that it's about a lot of like displaced children in the galaxy, maybe trying to find their way home, and maybe Jude Law is either the villain or he's the one trying to help them. So. We don't know much about it, but it seems like a cool enough idea. I like the idea of a coming-of-age story in Star Wars. Um, But The Acolyte. This one I was not really excited for when they first announced it because we knew so little. But just with the basic kind of premise, the time frame, and the cast, I'm really excited. So this one takes place during the High Republic era, meaning it takes place 100 years before The Phantom Menace. And they're calling this one a mystery thriller. And it stars Amanda Stenberg. Maybe Jacinto, and the one I'm excited about, the idea that this guy's coming to Star Wars is so super exciting, it's Lee Jung-jae, the lead from Squid Game. So you have to imagine the Sith is going to play a pretty huge role in this show, and if it's 100 years before, maybe towards the end you get somebody like Darth Plagueis as, as a young person coming into it, but either way, like, kind of like a Sith-focused show could be pretty interesting.
1: I want to know more about that time and like when the Sith were at their height and why In the Clone Wars era, like all the Jedi are so scared of the fact that a new Sith could be here. So to to get more of that context uh, without having to like read the Star Wars books and canon and all that sounds really cool.
0: All right, guys. Well, if we don't have anything else, the future seems bright for Star Wars. I'm hopeful. Things are at their peak right now. So please, Star Wars, don't let us go downhill again because I'm liking where you're at. But if you guys have nothing else, should we get into awards? Let's do it. All right, so the Arnie's Podcast Awards is where we close out our show just by taking anything from the episode, anything that we're talking about, and we give it an award. can be positive, can be negative. It can be anything in between. So, Austin, so, Keith, what do you think deserves an award today?
1: Yeah, I'm going to give the Best Locks Award to Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn. Whether you see this man in live action, whether you see him as a blue force ghost, whether you see him in animation, when he's got that long hair, Didn't look right as a kid in that first episode of (laughs) Tales of the Jedi. But when he's older and got that long hair, that man just has the best locks. And I think Liam Neeson should have this long hair in his everyday life. How cool would it be if he actually did?
2: (laughs) You just see him at premieres all the time with his quagon hair. (laughs) That would be bizarre. (laughs) Oh, man. There's a lot floating around my head. But there was one we mentioned earlier. Uh, I think you might have said it, Matthew. I'm going to give the... I'm going to give the biggest nag award, and that goes to Karn's mom. God, this lady's annoying. When he's sitting there at the table drinking his blue milk. Fix your collar. Fix your collar. This is what you have to do. Your your uncle will help you. He'll get you a job. Another thing. We're getting nepotism
0: in Star Wars. How crazy (laughs) is that? Your uncle will
2: get you a good job. You'll be fine. But mom, I have to clear my name. (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right, Keith, I have to to dovetail you here because my award is not the exact same, but it does take place in the same scene. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, and it's just so obvious to me. I have to give the Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs Award (laughs) to Cyril Karn for being the first person I can imagine to eat cereal in Star Wars. (laughs) And not only does he eat cereal, but he does that whole like like pouty kid thing where he like pours it, like throws the milk in real fast and just starts eating with a grimace because he's like annoyed at his mom. (laughs) So, what an incredible moment.
1: Who do you think like the cereal sponsor is in Star Wars? Like who's on the cereal box? Oh, it's definitely Dex. Dex from oh, the, of the Clones.
0: I didn't even think about that. Dex yeah, maybe diner. the cereal came from his diner on Coruscant. That's a good point. Wow. Dex's Diner Bites. Ooh. <laughs> Dex's <laughs> Diner Bites. That's fun. <laughs> I also feel like Count Dooku's sounds like it could be a cereal.
1: Yeah, but we have Don't we have a Count like uh, cereal today. We have Count like, Chocula. Yeah, Count Chocula. There, wow. Maybe there's Count Dukula, which sounds <laughs> like it'd be a dump in a bowl. But... <laughs> <laughs> Something to think about, I guess, Star Wars people. Wow. I think
0: Count Dooku should maybe uh, work with Dex on creating a new line of cereal.
2: Do you guys think there's any milk in the Star Wars universe that's white at all? It feels like their milk is Unfortunately, all no. blue Unfortunately, and no. green. They're going to have like an orange milk later on. That's all they can find.
1: They ran out of white milk in the old Republic days. Mm. Beautiful. All right. Well, speaking of that, let's go
0: ahead and close out here. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content.
1: Clone Wars Crunchies, another great series. Ooh, cereal,
0: Clone Wars Crunchies. I like that. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing this with a friend, we really would appreciate that. So continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you ever get your podcasts, really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social and the Arnies. Media is the website. Austin and I will be back next Tuesday to finally break
1: down Season 1 of House of the Dragon. And also last week, me and Matt talked about Black Adam, and the key thing to take away there is Matt said in that episode, hey, I want James Gunn to take over DC Studios. And guess what? They announced it this week. They must have been listening to our episode, but James Gunn is now, in fact, in charge of the DCEU. You're welcome, James. I know I had a lot to do with this.
2: Lastly, we want to hear from you guys, so please send us a message. On Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What did you think of Andor and Tales of the Jedi? Would you let Yaddle give you a hug? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live
1: on our latest episode.
2: <laughs> that was something I was thinking about.
1: <laughs> I want to give Yaddle a hug because she's got a saber through her chest now. Oh, yeah. Just want to make her feel better. She crushed and then got her head cut off probably. So not ideal. Do you think Yaddle's blood is what turns Dooku's lightsaber red? thought you were going to say, is that what
0: turns – I imagine she has green blood, so maybe that turns the milk green. Who knows? Something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. So have a great rest of your week. We hope you're enjoying Andor and Tales of the Jedi like us. We're excited for more stuff down the line. I'm sure we'll talk about Andor in a few weeks because we're only a few weeks away from the finale. So with that, have a great rest of your week, like I said, and rest in peace. Yaddle. See you. Ya. Kandukul! <laughs>